Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. And we want to look at the um, book of Ruth. And so that's where I am. And I'm looking at chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, and so this took place during the time of Samson, Gideon, and Old Testament heroes like that. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of their two sons were Malon and Kilion, Chilion, if you have a King James. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. And so you've got this husband, Elimelech, and he takes his wife, Naomi, his two boys, and um, he goes where the food is because there was a famine in and around Bethlehem. And they go to the land of Moab, and you're saying, hey, cool dad, because that's what husbands do. They provide and protect. They make sure their family eats, okay? And he's taken them to a place where there is food. And you want to say, way to go, Elimelech, okay? The Hebrew word Elimelech even means God is king, and so God's supposed to be ruling in this guy's life. Well, he's a bad dad. He's a very bad dad. I'll say it again. He's a bad dad. He took his family where the food was, but where was the food? In the land of Moab, okay? Now, you got to wonder. I mean, he knew about Moab. What do, what, what, what do we know about Moab? It was famous, noted for their women, and their women were noted as seducers and seductresses. And they, they practiced these pagan religious festivals, if I can call them that, whereby they had fertility rites to the pagan god Chemosh that involved cult prostitutes. And that was how they worshipped their pagan god. Now here's the big deal. Elimelech, this, this good dad who's, who's providing food for his kids, okay? He takes them down to the land of Moab, knowing the reputation of the women of Moab, okay? He takes his wife, Naomi, his two boys, whose hormone juices were, were, they were just flowing, man. Late teens, early 20s into that culture. And another thing he did is he separated his family from the godly influences on their lives back in the land of Judah and Bethlehem, okay? So now we go back to Ruth 1, look at verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. They got there and he died. And she was left with her two sons. And they married... <laughs> What do you expect? They married Moabite women. I mean, the juices were flowing, man. One named Orpah, the other named Ruth. And they had lived there about 10 years, and both Malone and Killian, the two boys, also died. And Naomi was left with her two sons, with, without her two sons and without her husband. And so right away, dad dies. The two boys marry Moabite women. Now stop there. Two boys raised to believe in the true God marry pagan Moabite women. And there is historical literature... A lot of what we call extant or existing historical literature, it's not in the Bible, but there's enough historical literature to support this, this fact um, that every Moabite woman at one time or another had to serve their pagan god Chemosh by being part of these fertility rites to that god and involve themselves in cult prostitution. And so it's very likely 
that both Orpah and Ruth at one time were cult prostitutes. And these two boys, Malin and Kilion, married cult prostitutes. And do you think that troubled their mom, Naomi? I mean, she's a godly mom. And then her boys, her husband dies, her boys die. And Naomi's left with her two very pagan daughters-in-law, Orpah, that's not Oprah, that's Orpah, and Ruth. And now you look at verse 6, verse 6 of Ruth chapter 1. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. Well, it was home for Naomi, not for her two daughters-in-law. And so the Lord God came to the aid of his people by providing food. Do you think Naomi said, why didn't we, why did we come here in the first place? Why didn't we just stay in Bethlehem? Why did we ever come here? This was wrong, wrong, wrong. She got through that. I even believe she grew close to, the, to her daughters-in-law because they were the only family she had left. And she tried to make this thing in Moab work. I think she made an effort to make it work because her only family that was left was right there, her two daughters-in-law. And she tried to stay there, but man, she had been raised so different, so, 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 so anti that culture and all the, all the bad stuff that was going on there. And it just kind of rubbed against her, okay? And so Naomi finally decided to go back to the land of the Jews, her home in Bethlehem. And Orp and Ruth devotedly go with her. And on the road, see, on the road, Naomi stops and says, girls, go back home. Come on, go back home. Go back to your family. Find a nice guy. Get married again. Have kids. And they said, no, 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 we're going with you. And so they travel another day. And she says, one more time, she says, girls, go home. I can't have any more babies. I can't raise any more babies for you to marry. Verse 11, Ruth chapter 1. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? See? And Orpah says, well, if you say so, okay. But Ruth clung to her. And this had to be, this had to be a really, really emotional scene there on the road when Orpah decides to go back home and Ruth says, no, I'm not going. Verse 14, Ruth chapter 1. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is gone. She's going back to her people with her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, and I like the King James here, entreat me not to leave thee. The NIV says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where, listen to this now. This is, this is emotion packed. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates me and you. And that's an appropriate text to use at marriages. I mean, those are very powerful words, and we need to ask why. Why would Orpah go back, and why wouldn't Ruth leave her mother-in-law? What made Ruth cling tenaciously like that? Let me just read this again. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, if anything but death separates us, see? Now listen, this is not only me talking, but they're, they're, I read these commentaries. I read these commentaries about this part of Scripture, and, and, and they all say that Ruth saw something so different from the culture she was raised in 
in this family that she married into, and that should make us wonder, do people see that in our own families? We'll talk about that, too. I mean, a husband who honestly respected her, a family that wasn't out for pleasure and money, a family that was turned off, not on, off by cult prostitution. How do you think it made this lady who was sensitive to things spiritual to be part of that? And she marries into this family that says, you're more than just a body to us. You're a beautiful person with a body and a soul given to you by the true God who made you and loves you. And she saw values in that family. She saw a family who didn't live for the here and now, but they looked forward to an eternity with God. And she saw something else in that family. See, she feared her God, Chemosh. He ate babies. You had to offer your, se- your baby to Chemosh to appease his wrath. She saw, she, she saw a family who didn't fear their God, or they weren't afraid of him. Let me put it that way. They weren't afraid of him, but they loved their God. And she heard the great stories about their God. And she loved her mother-in-law more than her own family. And she wanted what her mother-in-law had. She said, your God will be my God. And so Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem. And it's interesting that one day that's where God would become man in a manger. Ruth gleans. They, they go back to Bethlehem. And Ruth gleans or harvest grain in the fields or in and around Bethlehem just to support she and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And she catches the eye of this landowner whose name is Boaz, B-O-A-Z, don't name your kid that either. And I see Ruth gleaning in the fields, harvesting grain in the fields, and I see Ruth as kind of attractive. I mean, this is my own picture. Boaz is, is about 50, kind of a big upper body, works out, maybe pushes weights, I don't know. He, he's, he's, like I said, he's about 50, prematurely gray, thick head of grayish white hair, good looking guy, long story short, he falls in love with Ruth, and he becomes what the Bible calls the kinsman redeemer of the family. And he pays off all Naomi's past debts. And he marries Ruth. And they have a baby whose name is Obed. And Obed is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of David. And the Bible calls Jesus Christ the greater son of David. But Jesus is the son of David. And so really, when you come right down to it, this whole deal points to Jesus Christ. It's God bringing about through the lineage of Ruth. It's God bringing his Savior into the world. That's what this whole thing is really all about, okay? All of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. And you got to get this, man. You get Matthew chapter 1. These boring genealogies, but this is so good. The ancestry of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. Let me read to you this. Verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And Boaz, listen now, was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, a cult prostitute, becomes an ancestress of the Savior, okay? And Jesse was the father of King David. And I read that stuff that this this cult prostitute, God took her from this deplorable, deplorable situation in Moab and made her an ancestress of the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ himself. You know what God did? He did in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3. God pulled off Isaiah 61, 3. This is the passage we need to memorize today. This is so good. The word of God says, he will bestow on them, listen to this, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Beauty for ashes. Memorize that, folks. This is how God works. He gives you beauty for ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. See that, Isaiah 61, 3? Gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And the original Hebrew word means a spirit of heaviness. Let me just go over that again. Here's what God does for us. He gives us beauty for ashes, 
He gives us the oil of gladness instead of mourning. And he gives us the garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. See, that's the God that I serve. And when I think about that and what God did in the life of Ruth, I just have to look at this and I have to say, what a God we have. What a, what a tremendous, what a God we have. Wow. That just, I don't know about that pumps me all up. Now, folks, there's some very practical stuff here in this word of, word of God that we need to look at, okay? Elimelech led his family, uh, especially two young boys with their hormones flowing, into a pagan land that was famous for its seducing type women, okay? And he knew exactly what could happen. They could marry pagan women. They could become like them, bow to idols, lose their value, split the family over that. And see, that move made absolutely no sense by that dad. You know, it might have made sense. For someone who didn't know the Lord, who, for someone who wasn't a true believer, okay? But not for a believer, man. I mean, I mean, you don't walk into sin. He just walking into sin, taking his family into a sin situation away from all these influences of God, see? Now, you may get tired. I mean, why, why do people walk into sin? That's the question we need to deal with. And you may get tired of hearing this, but I'll say it again and again and again. Because you're not going to stand in a world with ever-changing values that's becoming more anti-God and more anti-Jesus Christ if you stand alone without a Christian spouse. I know you will, you will get tired of hearing this because I'm going to bring this up a lot. I mean, if, if, I got to ask a question. Why, why would a believer in Jesus Christ, why would a believer, see, this makes no sense to me. Why would a believer marry a non-believer? Especially when 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, You've only, you only have surface stuff in common. You have nothing deeper in common. That's wisdom from God. See, God's trying to save you heartache because as a believer, the deepest part of you is your love for Jesus Christ. And why would you enter into an intimate forever union with someone who can't possibly share that deepest part of you? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So you got to watch who you're dating. That's the application. Watch who you're letting yourself fall in love with. Now listen, some of you already did that before you ever knew the Lord. And there's hope. I got to say, this is not a hopeless situation. I mean, you pray for their salvation. God answers those prayers. And they can. That's 1 Peter 3, man. They honestly can be one for the Lord. But why put yourself in that situation in the first place? So you don't walk into sin. A young man raised in a Baptist home, he, he was taught from childhood, stay away from alcohol, don't drink, and he gets a new job. And the guys at work say, you know, they're just trying to get to know each other, say you want to stop at a bar and have a drink after work, and well, he wants to relate to these guys, and so he says yes reluctantly, and they stop at a bar, and he has one beer, and you got to understand this guy, never, he never tasted beer in his life, he'd been told all along, you know, you don't drink, he just never tasted beer in his life, and so he had one beer, then he has another, and on the way home, he kills a young lady named Marianne, and I had her funeral. And that happened years ago. I mean, why walk into that stuff? I mean, where you're weak and you know it. Why, why walk into that? And we do that. I mean, Elimelech took his family to a pagan land. He dies and his boys marry pagan, unbelieving women. Now, why is that a surprise? And years later, they die. And his wife, Naomi, is left destitute. And only the grace of God who makes beauty out of ashes turned this whole deal around. I mean, here's another thing. Why watch a movie or look at anything that gives you thoughts? I mean, you're playing right into the hands of the culture today. Look at Psalm 101. Psalm 101, verse 2. David says, I will be careful. God wrote this, not me. I will be careful to lead a what? A blameless life. Now look at this. I will walk, verse 2, in my house 
with a blameless heart, in verse 3, I will set nothing before my eyes that is vile, or I will set no vile thing before my eyes. And we do that all the time, and we walk right into it. They go to the internet. They go to magazines. The thing today, and this is really approved by the world of psychology, is get your sex vicariously, not from your husband, not from your wife, and get it through pictures and get it through porn. And what does that do to your husband as a person? What does that do to your wife as a person? And what does that do to your marriage? So why walk into that sin? I mean, you have an attraction for someone, not your husband, not your wife. Man, I'll tell you what, the bell should be ringing real loud. There should be red lights flashing in your head. Don't go there. Don't go there. I mean, you write your own story here. Listen, if you are truly in Christ, you don't have to go there. The Apostle Paul says over and over and over again, he says, put off the flesh, put on the spirit, put off the flesh, put on the spirit. You read that throughout the epistles. I'm going to read it in Ephesians 4.22. And I didn't write this. God did. I could never write it this good. I'll tell you. Paul says, you were taught you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off, there it comes, your old self, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on, there it is, put off, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and true holiness, see? You don't have to walk into that stuff, man. Preach to yourself. Call yourself by name. Talk to yourself, whatever it is you're walking into, and then go back to Ephesians 4.22 and read it to yourself and tell yourself, I don't have to go there. And chew on this for a minute, too. Chew on this. When God called you to be a believer, he didn't leave you hanging. He didn't leave you out there. like, okay, you're a believer now. Hey, hope you can handle it when you're assaulted by all this stuff that's going to come at you. See ya. God didn't do that, man. You are equipped by the Father with the Holy Spirit in you, working through this, the Word of God, not to go there. And the more you're into this Word of God and serious prayer every day, the less you will go there, because these are the tools that the Spirit works through. I call the Limelech a bad dad. He wasn't bad, bad. Not bad, bad, if you know what I mean. He did a stupid thing, and I do stupid things. There was a famine in the land, and unless God leads you away from a circumstance going on in your life, and you'll know that, you'll know that, you'll know it's God, you stay. I mean, that's what this word of God tells us. You stay, man. You dig in. You dig and you trust God and you deal with it. You don't walk away from it. I mean, Elimelech, Naomi's husband did a dumb thing. I mean, he walked away from a problem. He should have stayed there in Bethlehem and endured that famine and trusted God. What I'm saying is, man, you face the issues. You do what you have to do, man. Trust in God. You face the issues. You don't run. You don't run away. I mean, there is a problem in the land of the Jews. Bethlehem in particular, famine. Elimelech and his family split. They split. That's an 80s term, man. Hey, I'm splitting. I mean, Abraham did the very same thing. This is a pattern in Scripture. Abraham, this giant of faith, did the very same thing. God says, leave your family, go to the promised land. He does. He obeys God. He gets to the promised land. There's a famine. So what does he do? He goes down to Egypt, a pagan land full of idols, and creates all kinds of problems for himself. Folks, stand your ground. We're believers, man. If you are, in fact, a believer, we don't run. We understand God is sovereign. He could have kept this deal out of your life, man, but he chose not to keep it out of your life. Why? For your good. 
He's working in you. You stay, man. You stand your ground. You believe and you say, I have a really strong, loving God. I will obey him and he will get me through this and I'm not going to run away from it. What do you want to run away from right now? What are you running from? You got an outline. Note that on your outline. What are you running from? Then right next to that note, right, right there, say, I'm not running. I'm staying put. I'm trusting him. Elimelech, Naomi and family go to Moab. Elimelech dies almost immediately. And the boys marry heathen women, more than likely cult prostitutes, and they die. And Naomi will not buy, buy into that culture. She clings to her God. And Ruth, one of her daughters-in-law, is drawn to Naomi's strength. She will not leave. She says, where you go, I will go, and your God will be my God. And Ruth and Naomi return to Bethlehem. And Ruth gleans in the field. She meets Boaz, the family kinsman redeemer. She marries him. They have Obed, they have Jesse, and Jesse has David, who is the ancestor of Jesus Christ. And this cult prostitute, Ruth is mentioned in Matthew 1 in the genealogy of Jesus Christ as an ancestress of the Savior. And I think about that. I just, it just, just something wells up in me and I just want to cry out, what a God we have. I mean, that's called providence. I mean, listen to this, folks. He will take the horrible conditions of your life and my life, the problems we make because of our sin, and he will work them to bless you and bless other people and above all, glorify him. Uh, isn't that, I mean, he will take the mess that I make in my life and your life, and I can live with this. I'm not going to go out and deliberately try and make messes, but I know if I fall into sin and I make a mess in my life, that I have this God who did this with Ruth, that he will take the grossest, ugliest mess of my life, and somehow, by what we call providence, turn this whole deal to his glory and my good. And all I can do in the face of that is say, what? A God we have. You know, it's Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says this. All things, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, let's get to the heart of this thing. I mean, we haven't in the heart of this message yet. We're almost done, but we've got to get to the heart of this whole message. Why? Why will God work your issues to his glory and his good? To his glory and your good. It's all, folks, it all goes to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it all goes back to Jesus Christ because Jesus freely and willingly died for your sins and my sins. And the sin barrier was gone. And the wall between us and God the Father came down. And you and me and every believer were reconciled to God the Father through the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. Now, because of that, you've got to understand this. There is a friendship between God the Father and you and me because Christ broke down that wall of hostility. There is a friendship between God the Father and you and, 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 you and God the Father and me. And now God the Father, get this. He delights. He honestly delights blessing us. He actually, I mean, to take the messes and clean them up and somehow bless you and me to, get, to, to clean up our messes and somehow bless us is a delight to our Heavenly Father. He delights in us. There is a beautiful passage that gets lost in the little book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. Listen to this. He will take great delight in you he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that something? Don't you love that? I tell you, take that home with you. Listen, one more thought. This is um, tremendous words in, in Ruth 1, 16 to 18. Tremendous words. But Ruth replied, entreat me not to leave thee. 
Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death ever separates you and me. And so I asked myself, why? What made Ruth say this? I believe she said this because in the 10 years that Ruth was married to Naomi's son, she never saw her mother in that pagan culture, ever. Her mother-in-law, ever once, bow down to an idol. I believe she saw her mother-in-law instead go off in prayer by herself. I believe it impressed Ruth that when her husband Elimelech died, Naomi didn't um, chase the first thing that came along with pants like, like, like her own relatives would have done. And maybe Ruth, I'm just guessing this, that maybe Ruth and Naomi had some, some mother-daughter talks that Ruth didn't have with her own mom. And maybe she confessed to her and cried and said, I feel so dirty after all those religious cultic fertility practices and being a cult prostitute, and I feel so dirty. And maybe Naomi just looked at her daughter-in-law and just kind of put her hands on her shoulders and said, honey, look at me. And she said, looking her in the eye, our God forgives those sins, my child. And that's exactly what Ruth needed to hear, that God loves and forgives and accepts sinners. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.